Welcome back to the Anxious Millennial Podcast. I'm your one and only host, Alexandra. Like many of you right now, I am devastated by the images that are coming out of the war happening right now in Ukraine. There are ways to help. The World Food Program is the world's largest humanitarian organization, saving lives in emergencies and using food assistance to build a pathway to peace, stability, and prosperity. To help support or to donate, please visit wfp.org. We pray for peace in Ukraine. So I am consistently fascinated by how kind and loving this community is. Case in point, Stephen Finney, a previous guest on The Anxious Millennial, introduced me to my new guest on the episode today, Erin Gore. So Stephen, first of all, thank you so much for introducing us. Erin's no-nonsense approach to finances is probably what led her to be the founder of Cheers to Financial Freedom, a class that Erin teaches for people like, yes, you and me, as we continue to navigate this wild inflation and this crazy economy that we're living right now, Aaron also jars me back to life when it comes to what's happening in the real estate market. But more on that later. In the meantime, welcoming Aaron Gore to the Anxious Millennial. Aaron, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to everybody. How are you today? I'm doing well, Aaron. Thank you. However, a tad bit disappointed on a personal note on some of the real estate fiascos that I am currently living. But trust me, more on that later. In the meantime, curious, wondering, needing to know, Erin, what is your word for 2022 and why? I think my word for 2022 is change. And I think it's because we have just lived through the biggest change that history has seen in like a hundred years with this pandemic. And we all got stuck in our houses. And what do you have to do in your house that you don't usually do on an everyday basis outside of your home when you're busy with everything else? You have time to actually think. So true. And thinking is a double-edged sword because when you have time to think, then you start to think, what do I want to do? Where do I want to be? What do I, the old, at old age of what do I want to be when I grow up? Even when you're 40 or 50 or 30 or 20, you're still like trying to figure out where do I want my life to go from here? So we're getting towards near, fingers crossed, the end of the pandemic, going from a pandemic to an endemic. And I think that we've all learned a lot of lessons about ourselves in the last two years, what we want, what we don't want. And now it's time to change. Now it's time to make those changes in our lives. Um, I think one of the biggest things that came out for me was taking a real look at myself from the whole holistic perspective, Mm. Um, looking at my overall well-being, my physical, my emotional, my mental, and my financial, which is what brought me to cheers today and to talk with you because financial well-being is so critically important. And when we change our financial well-being, we see that we build our overall well-being into that much more. 
Oh, there's so much to dive into with that. Thank you for that. I, I, I love the word change. Um, I think we all get intimidated by change. <laughs> I think the second anyone's foundation gets rocked and you have to rebuild yourself, I think that p- people get nervous with that. Any kind of transformation, especially deep transformation, elicits a lot of fear and anxiety. Um, And also sidebar, a shout out to Stephen Finney who connected us. Thank you, Stephen. Um, Stephen's a wonderful financial coach as well um, that coaches couples through the ups and downs of money, basically, which is what we're here to talk about today. Um, So Erin, please tell us what is your journey? What brought you to this deep thought that you were talking about during the pandemic, especially? So coming into the pandemic, I kind of had a whirlwind way of getting to where I'm at today. Um, I graduated from Arizona State University, go Sun Devils, in 2004 and went into retail management right away and spent many years there before getting married, having kids, became a stay-at-home mom. And in 2016, when my second was born, she threw me for a curveball because she is just like me in every way, but stubborn, fiercely independent, even at the age of one. And I knew I could not stay home with her because it was just not going to be a good thing for either of us. So I actually ended up going back to school and getting my master's of education and started teaching in the public schools um, in Virginia, where I was at at the time. And I taught economics and personal finance, which at the beginning, I was like, okay, I can do that. And I fell in love with personal finance because my own journey has found that I've struggled. Um, When I was 29, I found myself $19,000 in credit card debt and $80,000 in overall debt from student loans and car loans and everything else that life throws your way. And while teaching economics and personal finance, I really started to see, hey, guess what? There, there's something here. There's something to us teaching this and the fundamentals of what finance is that everybody needs to know. And so during that pandemic, when I talked about change, my family made a huge change. We moved back to Arizona where both my husband and I went to college. And it's the first time we've ever lived in Arizona together as a family. And I thought that I was going to be able to get a job, you know, teaching, massive teaching shortage, right? Everybody's talking about how we need teachers everywhere, except in business and personal finance. Because in Arizona, they don't really think that you need to teach it. They teach it like four days out of the year. They have a very minimal criteria for what you need to graduate. And I didn't like that. And I sat on that for a year trying to figure out what what's my next step. Talking about that change, where do I go from here? And that's where Cheers of Financial Freedom came in, was I kept remembering parents at the conferences telling me, where was this class when I was in high school? And how can I take it now? And I realized that, okay, it's time to change our conversation around personal finance, change how we think about personal finance, because how can we be good with personal finance if we don't understand how it works? 
Absolutely. And that's where cheers comes in is I actually teach the fundamental basics of what personal finance is so that you can change your conversation and make better choices, which then impacts your financial well-being. Oh, I think I've said this every, every five minutes, especially the first from our first conversation, like I just got full body goosebumps. And that usually tells me that like something's really resonating with me. Um, so cheers just to sort of expand on that cheers, financial freedom, um, is a class that you give. And what, what really struck me from our first conversation was that when parents were telling you at the time when you were teaching, I wish I had this class for myself, like full grown, adults that are parenting and adulting that want this for themselves, I think indicates just how much of a gap there is in in the knowledge that we need to achieve that financial freedom. Um, and that you're able to provide that is, is incredible, actually. Um, and I'm so curious for yourself as well as you're going through this journey and you realize like that, that aha moment where you knew right? You knew what your, your calling was. Can you sort of walk me through that moment that you knew? It was, so I think I always kind of knew that somehow I would end up here. I actually still remember um, when I decided to go back and get my master's, I still talked to my high school counselor coach. Um, and I told him I was doing the master's program. And he's like, Oh, I always knew you were going to become a teacher. And this is like 15 years after I graduated high school. And I'm like, you couldn't have told me that back in 1999, when I was graduating that maybe I should become a teacher. He goes, no, you had to find it along your own path and along your own way. And so looking back, even when I worked in retail management, I was still a teacher. Like I taught kids and employees how to do a job. And so I think the transition and the progression of what I've done, when you look at it from the outside in, it makes sense. But while I was living it, I was like, oh my gosh, where am I going? What am I doing? How do I get to where I want to be? And last spring, when I finally said, okay, I think this is what I need to do. I still had like goosebumps. I still had the Oh, is this really where I want to be? Is this where I'm going? And I don't really think it was until this spring now, probably about February, where I've been doing it for almost a year now. So I'm still very much in the infancy stage of this business. I finally said, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And when I talk to people like you and you're like, oh my gosh, I have goosebumps. Like, and it's resonating with you. Then I'm like, then I get goosebumps and I'm like, okay, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is where my personal story is going. And I, someone once asked me my why, and my why is we need to change the conversation around personal finance. Don't be like me when I was 29 and get in credit card debt. Let's change that so that you don't have to go through those situations. Mm. Uh, it's, it's so interesting to hear about hindsight being 2020, which is, I think, always the case when we're in it. We we don't see the forest for the trees. Um, you know, we're so closely invested in our lives and we're probably emotionally attached to a lot of 
our outcomes and our whys and our objectives, what we want out of life. Um, and I love hearing how you were a mentor to so many people in an informal setting where you you weren't you were teaching, but you were mentoring as well in those moments. Um, sort of, I'm, I'm curious as to what you think when 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 young people especially get into debt um, and over and above student loans, because I you know student loans is sort of the 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 price you want to pay or don't want to pay actually for, for, you know, wanting to build something for yourself and get an education. But moreover, when you hear about people getting to debt, not just young people, not just millennials, um, everyone really, what do you think is that underlying what's happening? Like, is it, is it wanting lifestyle? Is it, you know, wanting to keep up with the Joneses? Is it, what do you think is happening in, inside of them? Well, I know for me, for instance, I look back and the job that I had coming out of college barely made ends meet. It was one of those, it could pay my bills, but it couldn't pay anything more. And part of it was keeping up with the Joneses. I was like, I'm a college graduate. I should be able to afford these things. I didn't want to live with roommates. So the choices I made really determined where my money went. And so I was living off those credit cards because I was like, you know what? That's what I thought I was supposed to do because I didn't have the educational background to understand what the problem was. I didn't get at the time, well, it says I can pay a minimum payment of $35. Okay, I can do that. But I didn't understand the repercussions of paying that minimum payment was. And so to me, it was like, okay, I'm paying my credit cards. It's a monthly payment, monthly payment, you know, just like your car payment, just like your mortgage, whatever. But there was going to be no end to that. And so that's where I think the literacy aspects of finance really comes into play. And I think that's where the majority of us are missing it. Because we don't have financial literacy classes in school. There's States are finally starting to realize, hey, maybe we should implement this. But if you look at the overall picture, how many life skills do we actually have in school these days? We used to have home economics. We used to have industrial technology. We used to have finance classes and all that. And we've lost sight of that because we're trying to be academically well-rounded. Well, what about being an overall well-rounded person? And when you don't have the parents to teach you and to expand on what you're learning in the school, then you get to be 18, you're thrown into college, which college is great. Guess what? It's a path for a lot of us. There's trade schools. Well, trade schools still cost money. There's the military. There's two-year, four-year degrees. All of them are going to pay you in the long run. And that's one thing I teach in my class is education pays because you will make more than if you are just a high school grad. But you have to understand why you will make more and what it will take and how long it will take until you can get there. And a lot of us feel, and I always remember this, a lot of us have champagne appetites and beer budgets. And that. <laughs> that is so accurate. It, it's so accurate because 
what are we looking at, especially today with social media? You follow your Instagram, you're watching Kim Kardashian, you're watching, oh God, Jennifer Aniston, and I, I, I'm blanking on the celebrities that are influencers. Look how many influencers are yes. out there now. I know. I know. And, but guess what? They're not paying for those products that they're telling you you need. They're yeah. be given that because of their influence. And yeah. so now you think you need that when in fact you don't. And you shouldn't have it to begin with because that's not the stage of life that you're in. Absolutely. I mean, oh my goodness. I, I know influencers and it's not to, you know... <sighs> like the downfall of society when you're being fed needs through a medium that is telling you, you constantly have to consume to be happy is I think a huge piece in like the mental health problem that we're seeing across the globe right now. I mean, you know, granted, you know, we are coming out of a pandemic, like you said, hopefully we're entering into endemic stages sooner rather than later. There's a war going on. Inflation is happening. Um, but I, I just, also want to dive into what you said, which was financial literacy. So you're in the United States, I'm up in Canada, and it's interesting to see the common thread, which is systemically speaking, for some reason, school curriculums do not value things like soft skills. And I hate even calling them soft skills because they're, they're so important and will shape the decisions you make in life. But things like financial literacy, things like taking care of your your mental health, things like being able to run a household, um, all these really, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, boots on the ground, granular things that are your day to day that we're not taught. And the onus on science, which is really important and math, which is also really important. But what about life? <laughs> What about adulting? Yeah, uh, life skills. I and you know, yes. I'm actually sitting in on um, my kids' school district. Um, we had a stakeholder meeting for the school district, and I was sitting right next to the superintendent. And I, I told her, I'm like straight out, we need more life skills in school. I yeah. get that we're trying to focus on the academics, but we have lost sight on the life skills. And when your parents don't know how to teach it to you yes. or they weren't taught it, it's you turn 18 and you're just sent on your own into this magnificent world that everybody values something different. Yeah. yeah. And that's really the key to all of this, whether that's whatever stage of well-being you're in, your mental well-being, like you said, your economic well-being, your financial well-being, your physical well-being, what do you value and where did those values come from? Yeah. And when you don't understand what you value, how can you then determine what you need versus what you want? Yeah. yeah. And how can you make wise decisions? no matter if it's financial, emotional, mental, physical. If you don't value your body physically, you're going to eat 12 Oreos and then you're going to feel like crap later. Yep. And then you're going to be like, oh, why did my scale go up again? Well, because you wanted 12 Oreos, but you didn't understand why. And now you have the repercussions of that. The same comes into finance. 
Like, why do you value buying that $300 shirt from Nordstrom? Do you value it because that is what you want? Or is it you saw someone else and you had to have it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's so interesting to hear you um, talk about that that shirt because then even the notion of frugality is, and even being frugal is almost like a dirty word because it implies, you know, that you're being scrappy and that you're cutting on certain things. And it's almost like a, it's a taboo thing to, to, to even talk about. And, and we can also go down that path about openly speaking with friends and family about finances and how that too is rarely something at oh, least from never happens, never. never, never happens. Like one, when I was going down this path and really starting to understand why I felt the desire to want to do this, someone asked me like, what did it feel like when you were $19,000 in debt? What did you do? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, well, how, what did you do? Like, how did you change? Like, where were you at? And I'm like, well, I went to the bank and tried to figure out something else to do. And I found a personal loan that was a lower percent interest. And he's like, but why didn't you go to your parents? And I'm like, because I was embarrassed. Wow. Because I was shamed. Because here I am coming from parents that didn't have much and just wanted a better life for me. And I'm worse off than what they wanted. And so I was embarrassed and shamed about the situation. So I'm not going to reach out to them because we don't talk about that. You were just expected to live a better life than what they had. And I think every parent, that's our goal, is our children live a better life than we have. But if we don't teach them how to do that in a sustainable way and don't allow them to make mistakes and allow them to fail and us come in and, you know, comfort them in those times, then they get embarrassed, they get shamed, and they feel like I did. And then you don't know where to turn. Hmm. I'm so touched by hearing you say allowing them to fail, like giving them the space to make mistakes, learn from them and move on and make better choices um, going forward. I'm, I'm so interested in hearing about who takes your classes. Like who did, are you, I'm sure you're given demographics. We talk demographics, but I, I just need to know who is so, who needs to know these things? We know everyone, but specifically, what can you tell me about people who take your class? So I have a couple of platforms right now that I'm using, and then I'm actually building my one-on-one private class side right now. Um, so the two platforms I'm doing right now is I actually work with OutSchool, which is an online education platform, and that's kindergarten through 12th grade. And so I have two classes on there. I have a 10 to 14 year old, I call them my middle schoolers, um, where I do four classes, four weekly classes. We talk about the basic financial concepts, banking, savings, and budgeting. So stuff Mm -hmm. that 10 year olds really, like it's above their level, but it's something that they need to know now so that they can build on it as they go. And I teach it to them like they're high schoolers. Like I use the big words and then I break it down to them. Like, I'm like, do you know what a statement of financial position is? And they're like, no. I'm like, that's okay. Cause your parents don't either. 
But I'm like, if you tell them and ask them, do you know what a net worth statement is? Your parents are going to know. And I say, well, guess what? They're the same. Just two different names for the same thing. That My high school, my teenage class, as I call it, is for 14 to 18-year-olds. And that's where we actually spend 10 weeks together and we go over all the different areas. So we do the basic financial concepts. We do income earning and reporting, how to actually get paid what you want to get paid and know how your check works. We do banking, we do credit, taxes, insurance, life and leisure. That's a key that I really focus on in that class is I always think of the old saying, life isn't worth living if you can't have fun. Absolutely. But you got to budget in fine. Yep. And so we use that class to go over housing, transportation and food budgets, but also how do you build in fun without breaking the bank? And then we do savings, investing, budgeting, and we just wrap it all up with a general, like, okay, question and answer session. Um, so that's my out school program. And uh, I just started that last fall. So I've had about 30 students go through it so far. Um, it's really nice because it's a small group. So I have anywhere between one and three kids in a class. Um, the other platform I use is Burn Along. And this is an online health and wellness platform. And I really love Burn Along um, because they focus on all those areas of well-being. And Burn Along, um, what I do is I put my videos, like what I would teach in the class, but I put them in bite-sized videos. So like five-minute videos. And when you're a member of Burn Along, you can sign in and you can take these classes at your leisure. So it's an on-demand system. But the beauty is you get more than just my videos. When you're a member of Burn Along, you get fitness videos, you get nutrition, you get meditation, you get stress management, you get counseling, like the whole platform is yours. And so with Burn Along, it's really helped me look at how do we take care of us as a whole? And my portion of that whole is the financial side. How do we take care of ourselves in the financial side so we can build on our whole? Because when you see that your finances are better in um, the mix, if you want to call it that, and you feel better about that, you're probably not going to go to those Oreos to eat them, which then you're going to see that your mental health, because you're like, well, I'm not feeding myself Oreos all day, which then you're going to want to exercise because you don't feel sluggish. And you're going to see that all of them start really tying into each other and building yourself up into the better person that you want to be. So those are the two platforms that I work on right now. Um, I'm building my private side. So that's why I came on here today with you is to really let people know that I'm here for you. Um, I am looking into doing classes online so that you can take my class and then we can work one-on-one afterwards and look at, okay, are you struggling in credit? Okay, let's take the credit class. Let's learn the fundamentals of credit, and then we'll meet after that and see how can we apply that to your life and what changes you can make in your life. Because the beauty about personal finance is the first word, personal. 
no two people are going to have the same personal finance situation because we don't value the same things. We don't need or want the same things. I love my, I use the coffee as an example. Coffee for a lot of us is a want, except for me. I need coffee to function in the morning. I have to have my first cup of coffee. My kids do not want to see me before I've had my first cup of coffee. So for me, it's a need. But for you, it may be a want. You're like, I don't like coffee. I don't like the taste of it. Why would I need coffee when I don't like it? So needs versus wants change on what you value. Absolutely. But at the same time, do I need to go to Starbucks every day to get a cup of coffee? No, that's definitely a want. Exactly. And so when we have the perception of what our values are, we can look at our needs and wants. Like needs are just that. They're food, water, clothing, fire, and shelter. That's what we need. But when we tie in our perceptions of values, then our needs change. And no two people on this earth are ever going to have the same needs and wants or values. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I loved hearing how, um, so a couple of things, thank you for sharing where people can find your classes. Um, I love knowing that holistically, again, your word, but, um, you know, burn along being a wellness platform, um, that being where you are giving these classes, I find it interesting because we're, it, it is so financial wellness. It is so tied to, to well-being overall. So I love hearing that it's, it's a, it's a bit of a disruption because we think as we think of wellness as being like very body mind, but it, it really should encompass everything in life. And that includes um, financial wellness. I kind of want to loop back to um, in the beginning where I came on here and I was like, Oh, Aaron, I'm in such disarray after what's happened. So for some context, uh, I put in a bid on a house. My fiance and I are getting married. We're looking for a place. We lost yet another bid because of the housing market being bloated and all. <laughs> so I, I'm interested in your take right now with the, the, the market being crazy and, and everything being inflated. You said something so insightful offline. So I'm wondering what your take is on this, because I think a lot of people need to hear this from an economical standpoint. So economically, we are so overdue for a correction. And everybody thought that with the pandemic, we hit a recession. Well, we did, but it wasn't enough. We've been at peak for probably like 20 years now. Like we've been growing, 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 growing. Oh, the pandemic will come down just a little bit. Oh, wait, government stepped in. So we're growing, growing, growing. Well, at some point, you know, that roller coaster, we've got to come down. Yeah. Yeah. And we're starting to see that. We're starting to see that with inflation. We're starting to see that. And people are like, oh, well, you know, we're we're not going to have this bubble because supply and demand is there. Like I live in Phoenix, Arizona. I live in suburban Phoenix. And we have such an influx of people coming from Oregon, Washington, California, because they're like, oh, wait, we can sell our house in California, move to Arizona and buy the same house for half the price. Hmm. 
Well, the problem is they're buying the same house in cash. They're making the prices go up because then the Arizonans that want to buy the house can't get in. And so you're starting to see those bidding wars and you're seeing the price go up because like in Phoenix, for example, we're 30,000 houses short and we're about 20,000 apartments short. So we have a huge housing shortage in Phoenix and you got people continuing to move here. I was one of them. My mother-in-law moved from California right after we did. And so you're seeing the prices go up because there's nowhere for it to go. When you don't have the supply, that's what houses do. That's what economics does is it goes up. We will not see a 2008 housing bubble collapse again. That was subprime loans. That was people that should not have had loans in the first place getting loans. That's not what's happening here. So we may see a correction, a small correction on the housing prices as the actual supply grows, things will start to come down a little, but you're not going to see like what we saw in 2008, where you lose over half of the value of your home. Hmm. And so I think mentally where we're at as a society is back in the 80s and back in the 50s. If you look at that cycle, in the 80s, we had really high inflation. The interest rate for homes was 8% in the 80s. I know. It's wild. Think It's wild. Yeah. And so when you think about what people were doing in the 80s, we weren't moving into our forever homes at the beginning. You were moving into your starter home. You lived there for three to five years. You built up the equity. You then transferred the equity to the next house. You lived there for five to eight years. You built up the equity and you did it again and again. Hmm. And we're back to that mindset where like I got lucky 10 years ago, my family moved into our forever home and Life happened. It wasn't our forever home, but we were able to take the equity and now move into our forever home here because Mm. we had that equity already built. When you're a first time home buyer, you don't have that equity built. And so you shouldn't be looking for that forever home in today's economy. You need to be looking for that starter home that you can start to build your equity that you can then take and move on. And yeah, it sucks to move. I've moved 31 times in my life. I get it. Yes, 31. I'm I'm I need a minute. <laughs> For though you can, no one can see me, but I just almost fell off my chair. Whoa. Yeah. I moved a lot when I was little. My parents were constantly moving, not military either. So I can't even say I'm a military brat. It just jobs, transfers, trying to make that better life. College happened. I've moved back and forth a lot. I will say though, that finding our home in Virginia that we lived in for eight years, which is the longest I've ever lived in a house. Moving here, I've set my home up here as our forever home. We bought this home with the plans of retiring. So we've set ourselves up. But Sometimes you do have to move to make your life better. 
And it doesn't mean that you have to move out of your city. I mean, growing up, I grew up in a small town in Minnesota, Elk River, Minnesota. And I lived in seven different houses in those 13 years Hmm. because that's what it took to build the life that we wanted. And I think that mindset is starting to come back to us that we don't have to have everything figured out right when we're starting. Let yourself grow. Wow. I, that almost feels like a a huge relief to hear that, that you don't have to have everything figured out because the pressure, especially on us as a young couple, like, I just want to get my life started. I'd love to have a child at some point. Like I'm just, I feel stalled in this economy. I feel stalled in this real estate market and that's what it's doing to us. And it's, uh, it's, it's pressure. And you're absolutely right. I think it's, it is okay to, to figure your stuff out, move a couple of times if you have to. I love the thought of it doesn't have to be your forever home right off the bat. I think for some reason we had bought into that um, prophecy for some reason, like it has to be. That's because that's what they've been teaching for the last 20 years because our parents were like, well, we don't want that for you. So you should just buy. And so you see that when you have parents that grow up one way, they want for you the opposite. And so they teach you to do the opposite and then you do the opposite, but it doesn't work. And so then you teach your kids to do the opposite and it's a cycle. Yep. And so somehow we've got to break that cycle. Yep. And for everyone, it's not going to be the same. Like, again, personal. We make personal choices and you pick and choose your battles. And so when you look at it, you have to look at where is my battle today? What am I going to change about my childhood that I don't like and I want in my adulthood? And that, again, ties back to your values. What do you value? You value what your parents valued by saying, oh, you need that forever home right away. Is that something you value? Well, if it is, great, then go for it. But if that's not what you value and you're like, wait a minute, no, that was my parents' value, not mine. Then you can say, okay, what do I value? Hmm. So profound. So profound. Oh, Erin, I could talk about this forever and talk to you forever. But oh, I just I thank you so much for that for that perspective. I think uh, it, it sort of brought me back down a little bit. So much needed. Thank you so much. Uh, before we end off, and again, I we have to have, I keep telling this to um, guests that I, I love connecting with. We'll have a part two, a part three, because there's so many deep dives. But where can everybody find you? Where can everybody seek you out? Um, tell us where, where are you at? <laughs> so I, my website is www.cheerstofinancialfreedom.com. Um, I am on social media. I actually love Instagram. That's where I'm at the most. Um, and that's at cheers to financial freedom. Um, I also have Facebook and LinkedIn and you can also find me on there. Um, but yeah, you can find me pretty much. My website is a one-stop shop. It's going to give you my emails. It's going to give you my social handles, pricing services. It, my website gives you a discount to burn along. So if you want to join burn along, um, it gives you discounts for your first class on OutSchool. 
So if you're a parent and you want to get your kids on out school, you can get $20 off your first class through my link on my website. So www.cheerstofinancialfreedom.com. Awesome. Erin, thank you so much. And if you could leave us off, what are you most excited for? A little dose of optimism. What are you most looking forward to? What I'm most looking forward to is really that why changing the conversation around personal finance and seeing how we can make our own choices and our own values and really implementing those into your lives. And you're going to see all kinds of change back to that word of the day change. Um, And I think you're going to see a fundamental shift in how we view ourselves Love it. Love hearing that once you get your finances under control, there's so much more freedom that comes from it. Erin, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. I really appreciate it. What a powerful statement that financial freedom really is emotional and it's educational and there's a huge mental health component to it too. So um, thank you once again, Erin, for having given us so many nuggets of wisdom. Thank you to my listeners for joining me in a tiny respite from this world as it is right now. So sending you love, light, and hope, and I will talk to you soon. Bye.